0: God helps those who help themselves? How many of you heard this one before? How many of you have been on a little receiving end of God helps those who help themselves? Now, here's the hard part. How many of you have ever said that to somebody before? Yeah, yeah, me too. And so I want to to talk about that because on the surface, it sounds like it ought to be in the Bible, right? You know that stuff that sounds like it ought to be in the Bible and it ought to be a part of the tradition, Um, but the, the truth is it's just not. Like that phrase doesn't pop up in scripture, in tradition, it's, it's not something that existed. We, it's something we have created. And, and it leads me to all sorts of questions. Like, does God really help those who help themselves? But what about people who don't help themselves? What does God do with them? What about people who can't help themselves? What if they're in a situation where they just can't help themselves? What does God do then? Is God sort of like, eh, I only help those who help themselves? Um, how, how does God respond to that? And I think we have to begin by recognizing the very statement, God helps those who help themselves, that is a statement born out of privilege. Right? It is a statement born out of privilege. The fact that I would ever consider uttering that, and by the way, when do we say that? It's typically not when things are going poorly for us. Right? It's not like you got a flat tire and you, somebody stole your credit card and you burned the chicken You're like, well, God helps those who help themselves, so I guess I'm not doing it right. It's usually when something goes well, and we're sort of like feeling good about ourselves. There's nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself when something goes well, but then we sort of want to take it to the next level and say, you know, I guess it's going really well for me because God loves me maybe more than God loves anybody else. And God is rooting for me maybe even harder than God is rooting for everybody else. And so maybe there's something about, maybe my life is so good because there's something about me that I'm just doing enough stuff right. And we would never say that out loud, right? Especially if you grew up in the South, or bless your heart and everybody. We don't say that kind of stuff out loud. But deep down, it sort of forms our understanding. And then we'll use that against other people. If things aren't going well, well, you know, they just need, God helps those help themselves. You gotta help yourself. You gotta pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and that is a privilege statement and here's why if you have bootstraps somebody gave them to you Um, I'm consciously aware of this now in my life that I walk into the world seeing the world a certain way because of the privilege I have been given in this life not privilege I earned not privilege I just literally showed up on the planet and and it, it was mine right And so being able to see and think somehow that God is rewarding me or God is meeting me halfway because of something I've done and I've earned, something that I'm doing that nobody else is doing, that if somebody's struggling, then they're not spiritual enough or they're not uh, joining and partnering with God enough. I mean, that that is a statement of privilege. And I think the first step to moving beyond privilege and beginning to maybe even use it for good in the world is to recognize we have it. It's to recognize it's ours. Um... And so being able to say that statement is a bit of privilege. But I want to talk about the ancient world. Who doesn't want to talk about the ancient world? Isn't that exciting? You're all excited. Here's what I want to talk about it. Because the ancient world functioned in exactly this way. Um, they believed that whoever was in power was in power because the gods had smiled on them. So Pharaoh is Pharaoh because gods, the gods like Pharaoh. Right? Pharaoh has the power. Pharaoh has the, all the economic uh, wealth. Pharaoh has everything, the social power. He has everything because the gods chose Pharaoh. Aren't you glad we don't talk about our political figures anymore like this? <laughs> <laughs> but you notice how it's never the people we don't like. Like when the people we don't like win, we're not like, well, just it's the person God chose. We're like, No! It's not the person God chose. God doesn't do that until the next election cycle when our person wins, right? But there's there's this ancient world concept that the people on top are on top. And if you think about it like a pyramid, the people at the top of the pyramid are there because the gods have judged them worthy. They're good enough. They're smart enough. They've done enough. The gods are rewarding them for their good behavior and their good practice. The people at the bottom of the pyramid are there because God wills it. That's how God wants it. There have got to be people on top. There have got to be people on the bottom because who else is going to support the folks on top if it's not the folks on the bottom? That's how the ancient, that's how the ancient world works. That's how the modern world works, right? It tends to be the people on the lower social strata who end up supporting and propping up the people on the top. And that's how they believe the world works because God helps those who help themselves. And yet, what we find in the story of the Bible is a far different understanding of how all that works. There's there's this great story in the book of Exodus chapter 3, and it's a story about a guy named Charlton Heston. How many of you have heard it? Um, Little known biblical figure. Um, It's this guy Moses, and Moses is, uh, he's a shepherd, and he's a shepherd because he was in Egypt. He was born a Hebrew, and he ended up becoming part of Pharaoh's household, and so when the Hebrews were enslaved, Moses the Hebrew is enjoying privilege in the palace of Pharaoh. And eventually, he kind of snaps, and he kills an Egyptian who's beating up a Hebrew. It gets found out. He's run, he runs for the desert. And in the desert, he becomes a shepherd. And one day, while he's taking his sheep around, he sees this bush that is on fire but not consumed. And he thinks, I've got to stop and check this out. And then the bush starts speaking to him, like you do. Right? And here's what the bush says. I've cl- uh, th- th- and the, we're t- told to understand this is the Lord speaking through this. <laughs> The Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. Listen to that phrase. I know about their pain. The understanding was that the gods were distant and detached. In the Greek world, there was this idea of the gods are impassable. And what that means is the God can't feel. God can't feel suffering, God can't feel pain, God can't feel grief, which makes you wonder if God can even feel love, because it seems like all that stuff is wound up together in some sort of uh, way. And the idea where the gods are sort of distant and detached, and this God speaks and says, I see their pain, and I'm coming down to rescue them. And I'm sure this is where Moses is like, yeah, go get them. And then the divine says, actually, what I mean I'm coming, I mean you. mean, you're going to rescue them. I'm going to send you to do that. That's like when somebody says to you, are we going to do that? And they totally mean you. You know what I'm talking about? That happens a lot. Like, hey, we should do this. And they're using the royal we, because they ain't involved, right? And so there's this sense of Moses thinks it's all going to be a God thing. And and God in the story says, no, Moses, this is actually going to be a me partnering with you thing. And you're going to go to Egypt. You're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. This story I mean, for all the problems the Bible has, and and we can agree, right? The Bible has problems. There are texts in the Bible that are just, ugh. And we have to deal with them and do something with them. But if you throw out the Bible completely, you lose this. This, in the ancient world, was a revolutionary, brand new idea of a God who's not rooting for the people at the top and keeping them in power, but a God who wants to flip the system so that everybody has enough. And by the way, this is not a situation where God is saying, and I think this is our lack of imagination in our current context. The divine is not saying, we want to take the people who are oppressed and make them the new oppressors. And we want to take the oppressors and we want to make them oppressed. That's typically what our imagination is, right? I mean, anytime there's a revolution, what, what is it? It's about new people getting power so they can do to the other people what they were doing to them. Right? It's eye for an eye, on a massive scale. Yeah, exactly. On a massive scale. And what is happening here I think is that God is actually all articulating a different way of thinking about it. What if we had no oppressors in the world? What if nobody was oppressed? What if the divine was on the side of those who are being mistreated? What what if God is for the people at the bottom? That's what this Exodus story enters, brings into the conversation, into our history. A divine who isn't for the people at the top. He's for, she's for, they're for everybody, especially the people who are oppressed. And, uh, you know, it's not a one-off in the Bible. How many of you ever read the prophets? Any of the prophets? Anybody read the prophets? And we, we failed so long, I failed to read those. Because I thought prophets were about telling the future. And prophets are really just mouthpieces. They're here to declare a message on behalf of the divine. And if you read the prophets, they're not telling you about the future. They're telling you about God's passion for justice. One of my favorite prophets is a guy named Amos. I don't think he's the kind of person you would invite to dinner because um, he gets really cranked up and you, you never know how that's going to go. But, but listen to what Amos says. And he says this to the ruling elite. And by the way, the ruling elite had married their power with The religious power, and so they had a stranglehold on everything. It was economic, it was religious, it was everything, political. Here's what Amos says, and Amos is speaking on behalf of the divine I hate, I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. If you bring me your entirely burned offerings and gifts of food, I won't be pleased. I won't even look at your offerings. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What is Amos saying? You think the divine wants a show? You think the divine is excited about you killing all sorts of animals and having big parties and celebrating that you're in this while you benefit from everybody else's suffering? You know what God wants more than anything? Justice. You know what God wants more than anything? Equity. You know what God wants more than anything? is for every single human being to be seen and valued and to have enough so that nobody lives in Lack. Right? and while we live in a world with a scarcity mindset where there's just enough for us, so we've got to elbow everybody, Amos is saying there's a better way. There's a better way. And then you come to Jesus. And, and we talked about these alternative wisdom teachings a few weeks ago, but Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, my favorite text in the New Testament. He begins it, with the Beatitudes, which are a bunch of blessings. And it's not blessings on people you would expect. It's not, blessed are the people who have it all together. Blessed are the people who never run late. Blessed are the people who have it all figured out. Blessed are the people who have no doubts, fears, worries. Blessed are those folks. Jesus begins by saying, blessed are the poor. And, And one, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It covers all the bases. The poor in spirit, who are those people? The people who just can't get it. The people who try and try and try, and they want to, and they just keep feeling like they're falling short. And Jesus' first announcement essentially are to the people who have been kicked out of the church. And what does he say to them? God is on your side. I mean, this kind of stuff could get you killed. When you start telling the people who the establishment has kicked out that God is really with them and not with the people kicking them out, that is a powerful statement. Jesus opens up his beatitude. Then he says stuff like, blessed are the meek. Y'all ever met somebody who's meek? You may not even know it. Because they're not making a lot of noise. They're being good and gentle and kind and compassionate, and they tend to get run over. Right? And Jesus says, those of you who feel like you've been left out, you've been run over, you're going to inherit everything. Because God is on your side. Can you imagine... Every human being who's ever been burned by religion being told today that actually God's on your side. Everybody who's been burned by an institution that was more concerned with its own power than actually helping human beings who are hurting. That God is on their side. Those who have been victims of religious abuse. That actually God is not on the side of propping up those in power who have hurt you. God is on your side. And when we start saying stuff like, God helps those who help themselves we're saying a lot more than it's important to work hard. I think it's important to to do your best at everything you do, right? I think it's important to find something you love and to throw yourself into it as much as you can. I think it's important to be disciplined. I'm not all the time, but I think it's important to be, and I think you should be and teach me, right? I I think that there's so many great things. Yes, of course. It's not saying that there's not a time for hard work and to, to value those sorts of things, but what it's saying is ultimately there's something bigger going on here. The fact that I have the ability to do those things means I was giving a le- given a leg up. Right? You know, there are places in the world when you go and say those kind of things, it's an assault on the humanity of people who are suffering. As if because we're Americans and we, like, somehow God favors us more. God doesn't help those who help themselves. The, the scriptures are clear. The Bible's clear. We're going to talk about that next week. If it's clear one thing, it's this that God helps those who are helpless. That God's heart is centered on those who are helpless. And it makes you wonder, what should a church look like? If we really don't believe that we're all here and happy and shiny because God helps those who help themselves, and and we got up and we got here this morning, and God helped those who help themselves. What would a church look like that believe that God was on the side of the oppressed? What What would a church look like that believed that God was on the side of those who have been the victims of white supremacy? What would a church look like who believed that God was on the side of those who had been the victims of exclusion? What would a church look like that believed that God was on the side of kids in cages, not the people who put them there? What would that kind of church look like? Because in my bones, I believe that's the kind of church Grace Point is growing into. In my bones, I believe that that is our future work. It's not championing ourselves and saying, God helps those who help themselves, and look at all of us helping ourselves, so what we help ourselves just fine, mostly. What if we really begin to trust that the core of our tradition is that God helps the helpless? God helps those who can't help themselves. And if you go back to the teaching of Jesus, every party Jesus talks about throwing is for who? The people who could never throw one back. You can never get invited back. You ever get in those things with people where somebody does something nice for you and you just try to immediately do it back so you don't owe them? How many try to out-nice people? Right? They send you a card, you send them an edible arrangement. And you're like, top that. Right? And Jesus' teaching is, no, 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 no. The people who are invited are the people who get invited nowhere else. What does a church look like that centers its work on the people nobody else invites, the people that those in power want to shut up and push away. What does a church look like that centers itself on joining the God who hears the cry of the oppressed, on standing up for what's right, even if it's costly? What does it look like for a church to say, our tradition says God will be found among the poor and the hurting, and so that's where we should look for God? And I think we've talked about this, but I've, I've never met God outside of a human being. Like, I never have had a burning bush moment. I would have put it out with a fire extinguisher because I was, I was taught how to do that. I, I, maybe I've missed a lot of burning bush moments. But every time I've met God and, and walked away and thought, whatever the word God means, that was an experience of that reality. It has always been in human beings. That's why God pops up to Moses and says, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to do it through an actual flesh and blood, physical human being. And perhaps this morning, we get to have a burning wish moment together where we remember that the same God who spoke to Moses, the same God who said, I've heard the cry, I see their pain, I know what they're going through, but that same God is the God who is saying to us now, grace point, I've heard their cry. I've seen their pain. I know what they're going through. Let's be the kind of community that does something about it. Let's leverage whatever privilege we have toward justice. Let's leverage whatever energy we can muster because life is busy and everybody's, are y'all tired? Everybody, we're all tired. And yet there is work to be done in the world that needs our energy. Let's muster whatever energy we can because when we do those things, when we serve, when we show up and feed lunch to refugee kids, when we uh, collect things and give them to, whatever we're doing, when we do those things, we are actually serving the divine. And not just some sort of existential way. When you give somebody who's hungry some food, you are feeding God. Jesus actually talked about, he has this story that's at the end of his teaching in Matthew where he talks about people who, go and visit the sick and they take food to the hungry and they clothe the naked and they're present to the people who have nobody to be present to them. And he says, this is exactly what you're here for. And they're all confused. When did we do it? When did we do it? When did we show, we don't remember doing any of those things. And he says, whenever you did it to the least, you did it to me. That somehow Christ is present in the least among us, which is, again, not where we look for God. We look for God in the big and the shiny and the bright. And God is found in the slums and in the pain and the suffering of the world. Jesus says, when you don't do it unto the least, you don't do it unto me. So does God help those who help themselves? No. No. I can't pat myself on the back with that anymore. There's a lot of things that help me. A lot of things. Uh, I'm a white, straight, cisgendered male. I I feel like my opinion doesn't matter on a lot. Because I've been born into privilege. That I did not earn, that I do not did not do not know what to do with most of my life. But I do know that I've been called to recognize it and to understand that now my calling is to leverage that for the benefit of people around me. Can you imagine a church that does that? That continually is about pushing power out, that is about giving the voiceless a voice, that is about being a community who realizes that in our most helpless moments, that's when we're helped. That's when we're helped. And that there are people in this room who need that right now. And if they're going to get it, it's going to come through you. Right? If they're going to get it, it's going to come through us. Actual human contact. It's in those helpless moments. The moments where we don't know what we're going to do. The moments where life feels overwhelming. We feel so alone. That somebody texts, that somebody calls, that somebody shows. And you have that little moment where you're like, maybe I can keep going. There are lots of people who need those little moments. So what if we were to reject this bit of conventional wisdom? What if we were just to say this thing needs to be retired? And what if every time we think about, wow, God helps those, what if we began to look for people around us who God wants to help through us? Opening our hearts in whatever way we can to the pain and suffering of the world. Are you with me? And this, I don't know, this could change the world. This could change the world. This could change a community this could change human lives. And I think that's what the teaching of Jesus is all about. Let's pray. God, we uh, open ourselves to the same reality that's called to Moses, to the same reality we meet in the calls for justice of the prophets, and the same reality we meet in the life of Jesus. This reality that calls us to move beyond our privilege to move beyond a, our small worlds and to see that there's a larger world out there looking for love and looking for compassion and looking for justice liberate us from the belief that somehow that what we have is just an, a result of you helping us because we help ourselves may we see everything as a gift and may we realize that gifts are to be shared that the greatest gifts aren't things we hold on to and consume all on our own that the greatest gifts are the ones we set down at a table and we break open and we pass around it's a cup that we receive in gratitude that we share with each other it's broken bread that nourishes us for the journey. So may we be continually shaped into that kind of community, a community that hears the cry, that realizes that you are found among the hurting, among the lonely, among the oppressed, among the forgotten, among the marginalized, that you will always be found there. And may we join you and offering hope and healing and love and presence however we can. We're grateful. We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen.